Welcome to Prophecy Countdown with author and pastor Kenneth Baer. Join us every week for the latest updates on what the Bible has to say about the events, the characters, and prophetic signs of the return of Jesus Christ and His coming kingdom. Make sure you not only subscribe, but like your favorite episodes and share it with your friends. Now, on with the broadcast. Um, our, my message today is called Harvest Time. Harvest Time, and we're in chapter 9. We're actually finishing up chapter 9. As you know, we've been going through the Bible since April. We've been doing the Gospel of Matthew. We're now in chapter 9. We're going to be finishing up chapter 9. And, you know, chapter 9 is a very unique chapter. If you really take a look at it, it's almost a summary of much of what Jesus did in his, his ministry. You know, chapter 9 started off with some healing, but then he called the Apostle Matthew. And remember, the Apostle Matthew was a tax collector. It was his last apostle that he called. People were very upset because he was a tax collector. He was an outcast. He was a sinner, and Jesus associated with him. And then we saw healings. We saw a woman, a young girl that was raised to, to life a 12-year-old just last week. So it's a, it's a wonderful chapter, and we're going to be concluding today. And again, the topic of my message is harvest time, and you can follow along in your bulletin in your, or in your Bible as we read the scriptures. We're going to begin in verse 27. It says this, it says, When Jesus departed from there, two blind, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be unto you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had, they had departed, they spread the news about him in all the country. And as they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and, and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. You know, as we are finishing up chapter nine, one of the things I want to draw your attention to is the compassion of Jesus. It was the compassion of Jesus that brought him to the people, not only to teach the people about the kingdom of God, but also to heal them. And as I said in my earlier prayer, it was the compassion of God that sent Jesus to the earth. You know, there's a song that says, he gave his son, what more could he do? That's the, that's the compassion of, of Jesus. Now, it was the compassion of Jesus that motivated Jesus to do these things, but it was also important that Jesus would fulfill all of the prophecies, all of the prophecies that pointed to the, old, the in the Old Testament to the Messiah. So, for example, in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 57, we read, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Isn't it interesting? In that one verse in Isaiah, we see three of the four prophecies being fulfilled in the reading we had today. That's why Jesus came. He came to be the Messiah. He came to be the fulfillment of what the people of Israel had been looking for for a thousand years. 
Now, beginning in Matthew chapter 4, just before Jesus sits and teaches on the, on the mount, remember the, the Sermon on the Mount, um, Matthew records that the people were flocking to Jesus. It says that Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the, kingdom of the, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. Now, what was the result? Do you remember the result? What happened? People flocked to him, right? People came. It says that all through Syria and Galilee, the sick, the afflicted, with all diseases and torments, those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, came to Jesus, and he healed them. Now, here in chapter 9, at the end of chapter 9, we see Jesus continuing the same thing. In verse 27, it says that two blind men followed Jesus, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. Why did they say Son of David? Did you ever think about that? Why do they say Son of David? Why would they not say Jesus of Nazareth or you of Galilee or Rabbi? They said Son of David. Well, because Son of David, David was, that was the sign of the Messiah. The Messiah was to be the Son of David. That's why Jesus turned to them and he said, Do you believe? Do you believe that I can do this? Meaning, do you believe that I am the Messiah? And they said, yes. And he touched them and he healed them. Just after that, then there were, there were two men that were brought to him that were mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. Now, we've seen Jesus healing before, but today we have a demonstration of two types. We see healing of the physical. He, he touched the, the blind man. That was a physical ailment they had, just like COVID, just like any disease we have. We go to the doctor, we go to the hospital, we take a couple aspirin, right? Whatever it is we have to do, it's a physical disease. Jesus was able to teach people, touch people that were blind and heal them. He had authority over the physical. But then the demon-possessed men that caused them to be mute were brought to him. And Jesus cast out the demon demonstrating that Jesus had authority also over the supernatural, over the spiritual. So much so that the Pharisees, we can always count on them to have something to say, said he casts out demons by the rulers of the demons. You know, we see the Pharisees do this all the time. And the question is, were they idiots? I mean, they saw the same thing that everybody else saw, but they refused to believe. Well, no, it's called unbelief. It's called being hard of hearing. It's having a hard heart, not having eyes to see. That's what the gospel says. They weren't idiots. They, they were just unable to see. In chapter 9 of Matthew, like I said, it's, it's almost a reader's digest of all of the miracles and all of the teachings of Jesus. Jesus in chapter 9 was accused of blasphemy. He was accused of having low morals because he was associating with tax collectors and the people that tax collectors associated with. He was accused of um, being ungodly and being now accused of being in league with Beelzebub. Uh, the prince of darkness. I mean, this is how far they went. They saw the miracles and they said, well, it must be the prince of darkness that's, that's doing this for him. The reason these people were so hard of hearing is the reason why Jesus spoke in parables. Remember it says that? Jesus often spoke in parables. In fact, in one place in the Bible it says, without parables, Jesus did not speak. Meaning that, really, when you think about it, all of Jesus' ministry... All that he presented was in a way to be able to tell the story of why Jesus came. I, I love parables. Parables are, are, are stories, and it's almost like a, a joke. You know, sometimes some people can tell a joke really well. Sometimes you don't remember everything, but you remember the, the punchline. 
And even small children can tell a joke pretty well. And that's what parables are designed to do. They're designed to be memorable, to be something that you can remember. Remember the parable of the mustard seed or the hidden treasure or the lost sheep or the fig tree or the good Samaritan or the rich fool or the parable of the prodigal son. These are all stories that illustrate a deep spiritual truth. And Jesus' life illustrated a deep spiritual truth. The topic of my message today is harvest time because harvest time is a deep spiritual truth. And I want to focus on just a couple of verses today, verses 36 through 38. You can read along. It says, But when he, that's Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. There's that word again, the compassion. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And I realize that when we teach the parables, we don't usually include this harvest time as a parable, but in many ways it is. You see, this side of having on glory, this side of, of, of heaven, we have a harvest. It's an agricultural thing. And Jesus often used agriculture in his parables. And there was a reason for that. At the time of Jesus, more than 90% of the people were either employed in agriculture or they were keepers of sheep and goats and other animals or they were fishermen. You see, these were all laborers that understood this idea of, of harvest, of going out and catching something, about, about taking care of animals. That's why the Bible is full of agricultural uh, examples, especially many of the parables. Now, I, I've got to confess that I, I'm a city boy. I, I, I didn't know much about farms. I mean, I had seen pictures of cows. I had been to the zoo, but I was, I was a city boy. We grew up, I grew up in the streets of Detroit and Chicago. I, I didn't know much about, the, about farming. And it's just an example of that. My wife and I, when we, when we were first married, we had our first house in Dearborn. It was a small little house. It was a very nice house. And behind the garage, there was a small piece of land. It was no bigger than this area in front of the stage here, just maybe eight by 10, it was really kind of small, but it was obvious that they had planted a garden there before. So I told Carol, I said, let's plant a garden. It'll be so much fun. We'll plant a garden. So we went to one of the stores and, and we picked up 12 tomato plants, uh, 12 beans, uh, green beans, tw uh, 12 red peppers, 12 uh, uh, plants of Brussels sprouts, 12 cucumbers, and a whole package of lettuce. And we planted it in this little teeny garden. All of this, it was enough for an acre, right? But we had it all in this little garden. And I loved it because the first few days, you know, the warm sun would kind of warm and you'd see these little sprouts coming up. The lettuce started coming up. It was so nice. But within a few weeks, within a, within a month or so, we could hardly get anywhere close to this because it had kind of taken over the entire neighborhood. I mean, it just was growing and growing and growing. We didn't get much out of that other than the cucumbers and the tomatoes tended to do the best because they're viney. And they kind of climbed over everything else. So we could kind of reach in and grab a tomato in now and then. But like I said, I don't know much about, about agriculture, but I do love the parables of Jesus. Because even without being a farmer, we can understand what Jesus says. You know, for example, if you go back to the Beatitudes, at the very beginning of the Beatitudes, he tells his first two parables. He says, you, my disciples, are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And we, we get it. We, we understand what he's talking about. You've heard sermons about being salty and being a preservative and being a light and casting out darkness. We've all heard those stories, those analogies, but we get it. 
To be salt and light means that we're different than the rest of the world. We're, we're to be part of the harvest. We're to be going out and being able to teach other people. This is exactly why, why you know, the disciples, Jesus told, told, me, told me so many parables that his disciples finally asked him. He said, they said, Jesus, why do you speak to them in, in parables? And this has a lot to do with the idea of harvest time, which is my, my sermon today. You know, there's a couple of parables. There's a, pepper, there's a, there's a parable about the, the wheat and the, and the chaff. Remember that? They grow together, wait until the harvest. There's also the separation of the sheep from the goats, which is the idea of the, the harvest time. And, but this is how Jesus answered uh, when they asked him, why do you speak in parables? In Matthew 13, Jesus says this. He says, because it has been given to you, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is filled, fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and not understand, and seeing you will see but not perceive, for the heart of the people has grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes have been closed, lest they should hear, see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. That's Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is telling them exactly what we see with the Pharisees, that even though they saw the same thing that the rest of the people said, they, they could not believe. They could not believe. You know, in the harvest, in this harvest time that Jesus teaches, there's actually two truths. I want to get to the two truths of my message today. The first is that Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. So the first truth we have to understand is, who is the Lord of the harvest? Who's the Lord of the harvest? Well, the answer is actually quite clear. It's God, right? God is the, but why is he the Lord of the harvest? Well, because God provided everything for the harvest. For the harvest. I mean, again, I don't know much about agriculture, but most of us understand that you put a seed in the ground, you leave it alone, right, and something grows. God doesn't leave it alone. God brings the warmth. He brings the sun. He brings the rain. He's tilled the ground. God is the one that does it all. God is the one that's doing the planting. He's the one that cultivates the soil. He's the one that sends the sunshine. He's the one that has set everything in motion so that there would be a harvest. This is exactly why God is the Lord of the harvest. In the, in the book of Hebrews, I love the book of Hebrews. It's one of those books in the New Testament that we don't know who the author is. People still argue about who the author is. I, I tend to think it's either Paul or somebody that was very, very close to Paul because it sounds a lot like Paul. Uh, but, but there's poetry in the book of Hebrews, which is unusual. In the beginning of the book of Hebrews, it says this. It says, God who at various times and in various ways spoken times passed to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Through him also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word by his power, when he himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, Having become so much better than the angel, he has, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, my friends, what that is saying is not only through the ministry of Jesus did he do all these things, but now Jesus is also the Lord of the harvest. We know that because Jesus is God. Jesus is sitting at, at the right hand of God. God has now allowed him to obtain that which is rightfully his. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. And in chapter 3, 
the writer of Hebrews says that the harvest time is actually now. It's today. It says this. It says, beware. This is chapter 3, verse 12. Uh, they, beware, brethren, lest anyone uh, has an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is still called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. You know, harvest time points to a great truth. God gives people every chance to accept the message of Jesus, to accept the simple message of the gospel that Jesus died for their sins, that it's by grace that we're saved. When Jesus came teaching in Galilee and Judea, his ministry was attested by miracles. He presented all of the necessary credentials described by the prophets to be the Messiah. Yet many, if not most, refused to believe. Their hearts were hardened. Their ears were dull of hearing. The book of Hebrews says some have an evil heart. Some have been hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And this is exactly why Jesus spoke in parables. He spoke in parables because people would understand the stories and those that were his would understand the spiritual truth, the great spiritual truth behind the parables. And I mentioned that in my message today, the Lord of the Harvest, there is actually two truths. The first was, who is the Lord of the harvest? And we know that that is God and Jesus, because Jesus is the second part person of the Trinity. God, it was, the Bible said that it was God who was manifest, who had accomplished all things. Jesus was born of a woman, conceived of the Holy Spirit. It's through his revelation that we understand that. But the second part of the harvest time, the truth is, that harvest time is now. The truth, the second part of the truth of harvest time is that harvest time is now, right now. It's today. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 9, we read it earlier, that the harvest was then and the harvest is now. And John, Jesus says this. He says, Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say there are still four months until harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are already white for harvest. That's John chapter 4. As I mentioned before, agriculture is a very common, term, common theme in the Bible. And harvest is also a very common theme. The Old Testament, Isaiah and Amos, Amos and, and other Old Testament prophets, we see it also in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as I said, I don't know much about harvesting because I'm not a farmer, but I understand this concept that when the fields are white, when wheat fields are white, it means that they're ripe. They are ready for the harvest. When grain is fully sprouted in peak condition for gathering, that's called a, a sea of white. And this is, this is an urgency. If you know anything about agriculture, when harvest time comes, everything else stops. Schools stop. Children no longer go to school. I mean, I mean, mothers still put the food on the table, but everybody else is out in the field. They're harvesting the fields because today is the day of harvest, and they know the urgency. And this is why it says in Hebrews, it says, today if you hear his voice, Hearken unto him. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In, in the second uh, chapter of, uh, or second, second book of, Col uh, of Corinthians, 
Apostle, uh, chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, In an acceptable time I've heard you, and in the day of salvation I've helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You see, I really believe that in chapter 9, when Jesus has compassion for the people, and he says, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the field. I think he was communicating an urgency. When he looked at the people of Israel, he realized there were many that were beginning to believe, and he wanted them to be sure. That's why he asked the two men that were blind, do you believe I can do this? He wants to make sure that they understand that he is the Messiah, that they put their faith and they trust in him. There were people that were hungry for the truth, ready to receive his salvation. They were coming to him. The right time for them was, was now. But now we see in the Gospel of John, what I just read, where Jesus says, don't say that there's four more months. I tell you right now, the fields are ready. Now, again, with agriculture, you can't send laborers into the field before it's ready. You can't pick wheat before it's ready. You can't pick a tomato. Well, tomatoes you can because they can be green. But most, most plants you can't just pick when they're not ripe. But Jesus says there's a harvest, and the harvest is, is now. But here's the bottom line. Before you can pray to send laborers into the field, before you can be a laborer in the field, you have to be part of the harvest. Have you thought about that? You have to actually be part of the harvest. Like the blind man, you have to say, yes, I believe. I, I believe. This is why the apostle John writes. John writes because John says that, that Jesus came into the world, but many could not receive him. Remember that? Many could not receive him. But then it says this in verse 10. He says, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But the good news is the very next verse. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. My, my prayer for you today, my prayer for you today after preaching to you for the last five years is make sure that you're part of the harvest. It's one thing to hear the songs. It's one thing to hear the gospel. It's one thing to hear the stories. But the Bible says you need to receive him. You know, many are, are taught the scriptures. Many have been taught the parables. And many have, have heard of Jesus' healing and the miracles. The leper was cleansed. The centurion's servant was healed. Peter's mother-in-law was healed. And Jesus even when touched her hand. Jesus was passing by the paralytic lying in a cot and said, your sins are forgiven. And this was just in this last chapter, chapter 9. If you go through the gospel accounts, we see Jesus, the miracle worker, the, the son of God, the Messiah, one that came to fulfill all of the prophecies about the Messiah. It's harvest time. You see, the blind are not able to see until they put their trust in Jesus. That's a parable, right? The blind are able to see because they put their trust in Jesus. The deaf are able to hear because they hear the word of the God. Those that have a dull heart, that have a mind that's not sharp, they can be healed because they put their trust in Jesus. It's harvest time, and harvest time is today. For those of you that, uh, that have never prayed, 
uh, I just suggest that you pray with me now. You know, I've been a pastor for a long time, and I'm always surprised when we have what's called an altar call. We have people, we say, we're going to pray this prayer, and I want you to raise your hand. You know, we, we do these things sometimes in our churches. And I'm, when we do that, I'm always surprised sometimes at the people that respond. Because many of these people I've known for a number of years, and they've been in the congregation, they've been sitting in the pews. Some of them have been volunteers whether they're helping to park cars or hand out bulletins or even teaching some of our kids in our Sunday schools, I'm surprised sometimes that they finally come forward. They humble themselves because they want to make sure they're part of the harvest. They want to make sure that they have ears that truly are, are opened, eyes that truly see. They know that harvest time is today. So I'm going to close with a simple prayer, and you can just pray along with me, but... Uh, if you've already been part of the harvest and you're already trying to be part of the team that goes out and brings other people, and you can still pray with us and pray with me and pray for those that still need to know who Jesus Christ truly is. So pray with me as we close. Father, I want to thank you for Jesus, for Jesus coming as long as the long-promised Messiah. Father, I confess that I'm a sinner, that I'm in need of a Savior. I acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and for the sin of the entire world. Jesus was the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb. I confess that God raised Jesus from the dead and that he's now in heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's willing to forgive all of my sins and make me a new creation. Uh, Jesus, come into my life through your Holy Spirit. It's harvest time for me, and I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Nearly every day, it's common to see, read, or hear something about the end of the world, the apocalypse, or end times. Author and pastor Kenneth Baer's The Apocalypse and Coming Kingdom zooms in and breaks down biblical prophecy as it relates to Jesus' imminent return and the coming seven-year period, including the Great Tribulation. Available in both paperback and Kindle versions. Get your copy on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble and select Christian bookstores. The title again is The Apocalypse and Coming Kingdom. You can also find it listed by author Kenneth Baer. Get your copy today. joining us on Prophecy Countdown with Pastor Ken Baer. Don't leave without first sharing the latest episode with your friends. Be sure to join us again for the latest updates on Prophecy Countdown.